Good morning, I'm Pastor Gillespie from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church and School, Sherman Center, Random Lake, Wisconsin. Good to have you with us here today for our Congregation of Prayer, a guide for daily meditation and prayer around God's Word. It's Tuesday, March 29th, 2022, and we come to you each morning at about 9 a.m. to pray together. Today we'll continue with our catechesis and St. Luke's Passion Account, Today Jesus Before the Sanhedrin. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. We say our memory verse together. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. Psalm 118, verse 8. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. Psalm 118, verse 8. Pray our psalm for this week. I was glad when they said to me, Let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. There thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. First reading today is from Daniel chapter 7. I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, and its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened. I watched then because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking. I watched till the beast was slain and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. As for the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I watched in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. All right, I mentioned this before, but it's, it's worthy of uh, your remembrance, especially this chapter, chapter 7, uh, but all of Daniel's visionary chapters, so chapter 7 and following, um, are particularly used by the evangelists, I would say notably St. John, but also St. Luke, uh, 
for, what do you want to say? I want to say concepts and ideas, but that, that sounds too small or too trite. Um, I would say rather for the backstory um, to a lot of the expressions and um, the things that the people understand. Um, sometimes it's a little challenging, I, I would say, without knowing the backstory to understand why the people in the text respond the way they do to the words of Jesus, to the actions of Jesus, right? Or how um, Jesus himself acts in response to them. Um, all of this has been foretold or foreshadowed or, or set up typologically um, through the prophets and patriarchs uh, of old and kings too, for that matter, all right? So uh, consider Daniel 7, keep this in mind as we read of Jesus' trial before the Sanhedrin, because we have a, in a sense, we have a trial here, at least we have the throne and the king upon the throne. Luke 22, beginning verse 63. Now the men who held Jesus mocked him and beat him, and they, having blindfolded him, they struck him on the face and asked him, saying, Prophesy, who is the one who struck you? And many other things they blasphemy, blasphemously spoke against him. As soon as it was day, the elders of the people, both chief priests and scribes, came together and led him into their council, saying, If you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, you will by no means believe. And if I also ask you, you will by no means answer me or let me go. Hereafter, the Son of Man will sit on the right hand of the power of God. Then they all said, Are you then the Son of God? So he said to them, You rightly say that I am. And they said, What further testimony do we need? For we have heard it ourselves from his own mouth. All right. So uh, having brought him in, you know, uh, to the high priest's house, um, what did they, what were they doing to Jesus? That's right. Uh, mocking him, beating him, striking him on the face. Uh, mocking, of course we know about mockery. Uh, what does that mean? Let's see what uh, Oxford English says. We'll go there first. Of course, that's not the original language. Uh, Oxford English says, um, to ridicule, jeer at, sneer at, deride, treat with contempt, treat contemptuously, scorn, make fun of, or poke. That's some of the uh, very possible. It could be also a parody to ape or to mimic. That's interesting. Right, so they give a lot of possible definitions there. Yeah, to treat with contempt or to ridicule. Uh, verse 64, what did they put on Jesus? Right here. They blindfolded him. Why do you think they did that? <laughs> Luke tells you, making him blind so that he might prophesy, right? Who was beating him? Does Jesus answer? No, he does not. Um, not only because he's not, um, you know, like the piper um, in the um, marketplace that the children say, you know, play a tune, you know, we, we, you know, play a tune for us, right? Remember? Jesus doesn't play their tune in one sense. In another sense, of course, this is a fulfillment of a prophecy. So he is fulfilling prophecy here, not one that he spoke, but one that he spoke, the Spirit spoke by way of Isaiah, Isaiah 53, the suffering servant song, right? He did not open his mouth. The lamb goes uncomplaining forth, to quote the hymn. Yep. Fulfilling the prophecy that he would be like a lamb, which is silent before its shearers. Uh, by the way, they're not usually, well, I don't know. They're not, in, <laughs> when they're being sh shorn, yeah, they're usually quiet, at least in my experience. Um... All right, so that happens at night. What happens when it is day? Yeah, as soon as it was day, the council uh, meets. This is sometimes called the Sanhedrin, right? Which is chief priests and scribes, those ruling, the ruling class. These are the um, 
Jewish elites, if you like, use a modern term. And what did they ask um, if he were the Christ? Or why did they ask if he was the Christ, I suppose? Yeah. Well, again, we had it back in 65. They spoke blasphemously against him, but now they are seeking him to be the one committing blasphemy, right? To catch him in the act and accuse him of blasphemy. Um, you know what the word Christ means, of course. Talked about this quite often. Messiah or anointed one, right? So uh, whether it's the son of David, right? The anointed king or anointed prophet um, or the anointed priest, whichever anointed we want, it will work. Um, so for example, think of, you might think of 1 Samuel uh, chapter 16, a famous anointing there where Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed David in the midst of his brothers and the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. So we have the anointing of the king. Second um, Samuel 5, also famous. That's the uh, anointing again. Uh, Therefore all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron and made David, King David, made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. All right, so there, David again being anointed. Um, in Exodus, guess who gets anointed there? Exodus 28. Uh, let's see. This is with Aaron, of course. So he's wearing the priestly garments. And then, um, so you shall put them on Aaron, your brother, and on his sons with him. You shall anoint them, consecrate them, and sanctify them, that they may minister to me as priests. Priests, all right? Seems like you've heard maybe an Advent series or two on prophet, priest, and king, haven't you? <laughs> um, of course, you have then uh, God's word speaking to Elijah, right? Um, in 1 Kings 19, you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel, and the Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel, Abel or Abel, Mahola, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. Right? So all three, prophet, priest, or kings, are anointed. And that's all encapsulated in one title, Christ. Why wouldn't Jesus answer um, their question directly? He tells you right here in verse 67, even if he did tell them directly, they wouldn't believe All right, what he said. And then in verse 69 and 70, we actually have two titles, not just the Christ, but now we have two, one from Daniel, you saw, and the other, right, son of man and son of God, together, indicating, of course, Christ's two natures, both God and man. Uh, we call this the, the two natures of Christ, right, that he's both true God and true man, as we confess in the creed. Um, I have whole books just on the doctrine of the two natures. <laughs> It's, a, it's profound. Um, it's also well confessed in the scripture, so there's plenty that can be said. Uh, Jesus used an interesting phrase at the end of verse 70. Um, and it, it, what is it and uh, from where did it come? And it also explains their response. So he said to them, you rightly say that I, and if I do this, maybe that will help. I am. Ego I me. In Greek, yeah, this is Jesus self-identifying, not just with the Son of God, or with Son of Man titles, or with Christ Messiah titles, but now also with the name given to Moses, right, at the burning bush, the name that God reveals himself as, I am. And of course, Jesus in John's gospel uses this extensively. I am the good shepherd, I am the way, the truth, and the life, um, I am the gate of the, shep of the sheepfold, uh, I am the light, yeah, you know all the I am statements, probably. All right, with that, you can see their response. That's enough. He said it. <laughs> We've caught him, right? 
It was blasphemous for Jesus to say that he is the Son of God uh, and to assume the divine name, I am. So what further testimony do we need? All right, then a meditation. Jesus had preached the good news and given evidence by his deeds that he was the promised Messiah, foretold in the Old Testament scriptures, but they would not believe that he was the Christ. Yet, he was anointed with the Holy Spirit at the Jordan, and in the preaching he had been shown as the prophet. Now he would be the priest who offered himself as sacrifice for sin, and in the sacrifice he would be crowned as king. Before them stood the Messiah, who is both God and man. In his one person are two natures, as he is fully God and fully man. He has taken the manhood into the Godhead, that we might be called the sons of God. Excellent. All right, let's confess our table of duties for the week from Romans 13. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you. For he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. All right, I think we've been challenged by this text in particular over the last couple of years because we've had, um, how shall you say it? <laughs> we've had mandates and edicts and other things put in place that were unjust, that were not good, that were um, by way, well, I would argue were evil. Um, and so then um, how might one understand what what is to be said here? Of course, you can quote Acts um, 13. No, not Acts 13, Acts 15, right? We must obey God rather than men. Um, this is not the only place that our Lutheran confessions, this, the table of duties in the small catechism, it's not the only place that we talk about this kind of um, civil authority. Uh, it's it's under the fifth commandment. Is that right? Yeah, you shall not murder. Um, but also the fourth commandment, of course, in the large catechism. The um, Another place of, that it's used um, is talking about the the power and primacy of the Pope. Because one of the arguments about the power and primacy of the Pope um, is that he is commanding unto himself as um, an appointed uh, religious leader and overseer of the church, uh, by human right, we would argue, uh, also divine authority, not only before God, but over man as a civil ruler. So his confusion is uh, is multiplied. Not only um, does he think he has divine right to rule over the church and over um, the kingdoms of this world, um, but um, but he is confused as to whether um, his his authority extends into the world, right? So that that's another place we talk about it. Um, political authority, though, becomes a very big deal for the uh, Lutheran Church, for the churches of the Reformation, and and actually for the splinter other Reformation era splinter churches as well. Um, how to relate to the state becomes a pretty significant um, question. Um, so, for example, in uh, the there's a distinction made in the Augsburg Confession between churchly authority and civil authority, so we should make that distinction first. Um, church authority is exercised only by teaching and preaching the gospel and administrating the sacraments, either to many or to individuals according to their calling. In this way, uh, are given not only bodily, but also external things, or excuse me, eternal things, eternal righteousness, the Holy Spirit, and eternal life. These things cannot reach us except by the mystery, ministry excuse me, of the word in the sacraments, as St. Paul says, 
The gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone that believes, Romans 1. Therefore, the church has the authority to grant eternal things and exercises this authority only by the ministry of the word. So it does not interfere with civil government any more than the art of singing interferes with civil government. For civil, well, I guess there's protest songs, aren't there? For civil government deals with other things than the gospel does. Civil rulers do not defend minds, but bodies and bodily things against obvious injuries. They restrain the Pope with the sword, or excuse me, they restrain people, ooh, there's a slip of phrase, uh, with the sword and physical punishment in order to preserve civil justice and peace, right? So one of our... um, one of our criticisms, I suppose, over the last few years is that civil government has taken on authority that belongs exclusively to the church, right? And it's not their responsibility. Uh, according to political order, you have Article uh, 16, both in the Confession and also in its defense, the Apology. Listen to what Melanchthon uh, has to say there. The gospel does not introduce laws about the public state, but is the forgiveness of sins and the beginning of a new life in the hearts of believers. Besides, the gospel not only approves outward governments, but also subjects us to them. Romans 13. In a similar way, we have been necessarily placed under the laws of seasons, the changes of winter and summer, as divine ordinances. The gospel forbids private remedy. Um, That would be like um, vengeance, right? Christ instills this so often in the apostles, um, so that the apostles do not think that they should seize the governments from those who held Otherwise, just as the Jewish people dreamed about the kingdom of the Messiah. Christ did this so that the apostles might know that they should teach that the spiritual kingdom does not change the public state. Therefore, private remedy is prohibited not only by advice, but by command. Public remedy, made through the office of the public official, is not condemned, but is commanded and is God's work, according to Paul, Romans 13. Public remedy, made through the office of the public official. Now, The different kinds of public remedy are legal decisions, capital punishment, wars, and military service. Clearly, many writers have thought wrongly about these matters. They were in error that the gospel is an outward, new, and monastic form of government. Also, they did not see that the gospel brings eternal righteousness to hearts while it outwardly approves the public state. All right, so you should go um, look at the article on political order, right? And it's very clear. Um, Our confession is, of course, that we obey them. Um, insofar as they commend those who do good and punish those who do evil. Um, But when they forbid the doing of good, we must obey um, God rather than men. Where they they refuse to punish evil, um, we then are charged to seek public remedy, to actually exercise our authority as citizens, um, to seek that they actually do punish that which is done, which is evil. Okay? and, and you know this is true. I mean, whether it's the authority of, of the state or whether it's the authority of, say, your household, um, whatever you allow in your in your presence becomes your standard, right? So if you allow wickedness and evil to be done in your home, don't be surprised um, that you lose your authority over your home, right? It becomes disorderly. So same with the state. So a state that no longer punishes evil and commands that which is good um, becomes dysfunctional and going to talk about this probably on the midweek service next week, not maybe this week, but next week. Uh, What does God do with such states that refuse to punish evil? He overthrows them and he puts a state in its place that does, (laughs) right? Okay. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, give us civil authorities who will serve with integrity and faithfulness for the maintenance of justice and the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of all those who do well. Grant all Christians faith in your generous providence so that we might honor the civil authorities and contribute to the common welfare of our nation. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.
Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, your mercies are new every morning. And though we deserve only punishment, you receive us as your children and provide for all our needs of body and soul. Grant that we may heartily acknowledge your merciful goodness, give thanks for all your benefits, and serve you in willing obedience. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. We pray this day for deliverance against temptation and evil, for the addicted and despairing, for the tortured and oppressed, and for those struggling with sin. We pray for those who today celebrate um, the gifts of God. Today, Dawson and Mandy, they're celebrating their birthday. Pray for the households of our congregation, especially uh, Jody, Stephen, and Penny, Chris, Tim, and, and Kim, Marion, and Zach, and Samantha. We pray for those ill receiving treatment or recovering, especially Marcella, Bev, Kelsey, Amanda, Dan, Brad, Timothy, and Norm, Merlin, Jim, and Mike. We pray for our homebound, Bev, Willis, Ed, Mickey, Paul. We pray for the missions and mercy work of the church, especially um, Camp Luisimo. We pray for our enemies and persecutors. For all this, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. I thank you, my heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have kept me this night from all harm and danger, and I pray that you would keep me this day also from sin and every evil, that all my doings and life may please you. For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul, and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. All right, let's sing our hymn. Uh, maybe before we sing. Do you want to learn some more about it? Why don't we do that today? Just change things up. Why not? We've got some time. These are a little bit shorter readings. 734. I trust, O Lord, your holy name. First published in Augsburg in 1533 in seven stanzas. This hymn by um, Adam Reisner, who died in 1582, paraphrases Psalm 31. The original third stanza, which is largely incorporated in the second and third stanzas in LSB, expounded on the second verse of the psalm. In it, the foes are, quote, falling in attack upon me on both sides, referencing Psalm 91, verse 7, which may also confer, um, may also ref refer, I should say, to the two theological enemies of the Lutheran cause, the Pope and the Roman Church on one side, and the enthusiasts, Reformed and Anabaptist sects, on the other. The original fifth stanza that came between the stanzas three and four picked up the language of snares and nets from Psalm 31, verse four, considering them to be lies and false doctrines in which the world traps the unwary. The doxological stanza in the German concludes, the Trinity's divine power makes us victorious through Jesus Christ, amen. Not only is the Christian's victory by way of Christ Jesus, but this entire hymn is also a prayer through Jesus Christ, just as all Christian prayers are, quote, in the name of Jesus. An 1863 translation by Catherine Vinkworth, 1827-1878, is the basis for the text in LSB, although it is so changed as to be almost unrecognizable. Mm -hmm. As Catherine Vinkworth uh, was given to do, unfortunately. So it's kind of hard to talk about the hymn when it's been changed so much. 
from its original. Yeah, that was an essay by, um, part of the essay by Sean Denzer, who's now the uh, director of worship for the LCMS. Interesting footnote. Um, Winkworth's translation began, In thee, O Lord, have I put my trust, leave me not helpless in the dust. The version of this hymn that the hymnody committee prepared for review contained a note that the word dust in TLH is obviously there just to rhyme with trust. The suggested version, which is currently in LSB, better reflects both the German original, and you have I hoped, Lord, help, that I might not be put to shame, and Psalm 31, on which the hymn was based. See the hymnody committees for the responses to the commission of worship, um, and then the citation. The commission on worship, which supervised the hymnody committee, had objected to the committee's proposed wording because the word name appears nowhere in the original. They recommended changing the first line to, I trust, O Lord, in you alone. In the end, though, the committee's proposed wording was retained, probably because it was too difficult to find a reasonable rhyme for alone. <laughs> so there you go with translation. Isn't that great? Um, this is always the problem with a non-English text and translating them to English. You can't help but change the meaning. Uh, it's hard to be faithful to the original. Hmm. There's much more that could be said, but that's probably enough. So maybe uh, to better understand the hymn, go read Psalm 31, especially verses 1 through 4. All right, now we can sing. Do you? 
commanding. Lord, be my stay and lead the way now and when life is There we go. Um, as far as translations go, yeah, I know. Poor Catherine Winkworth. I got a text about that. <laughs> oh, I do. I am. I am fairly critical, critical, I should say, um, of her translations. Uh, maybe it's worth knowing uh, how that ended up happening. Uh, she was of um, the English church. And uh, the English church, much like uh, has happened with us when we made the transition to English, here in um, in America, from German to English, uh, had a significant challenge in that uh, we liked to sing, but we didn't have a lot to sing. Uh, so uh, she went and lived with relatives in Dresden, Germany, acquired knowledge of German interest in German hymnody. She came back to Manchester uh, near Bristol, she's a pioneer in women's rights, much of her energy in the encouragement of higher education for women, um, translated a large number of these hymns, um, from hymnals that were owned by her friend, Baron Bunsen. Um, her translations continue to be used, although, of course, um, altered um, just because of maybe being a little less faithful to the text. And uh, interesting interesting notes about this in the Dictionary of Hymnology. Uh, Mr. Reusner, on the other hand, um, was born in 1496, in, in Swabian, Bavaria, studied in Wittenberg, and then 1521, learned Hebrew and Greek, uh, became a private secretary to Georg von Freudensberg, uh, accompanied him during his campaign in Italy, was captured in Rome, went back to Germany, was in Strasbourg, was a friend of Caspar Sch uh, Schwenkfeld, lived in Frankfurt am Main, died in about 1575. Um, he's got many hymns, but we just don't have many of them in English. The only translated English uh, is probably this one yeah yeah unfortunately probably uh, so the question is is there a better translation and that's really a question um let's see if i can find the german here's the german no that's not the right one How about this one see there's different there's not even consistent german <laughs> text of course oh there it is in sweden oh yeah here it is from the Evangelische Lutherisches Gesangbuch, that's our German hymnal from whenever that was, 18-something. Mm-hmm. Well, it is quite different. Look at that. Uh, but I'm not going to translate it. I actually have a friend who has been doing some um, Lutheran chorale book where he does new translation. Let me see if I can find it, find his website. The Free Lutheran Chorale Book. Book. All right, and then we should search for, how am I going to find it? Mm, 
trust. Let's see if he's translated this one yet. In thee, O Lord, have I put my trust. All right. He's actually got an article about it. Oh, look, he translated all seven stanzas. Um, well, he uh, revised it. All right. So it's basically TLH, though. All right. So if you want to see all seven stanzas here, I'll put a link in the chat. Um, mostly TLH. So it's always a lot of work to go back and find um, maybe good texts that haven't been sung, translated into English. Of course, there's many things that have been translated that we'd rather forget. Um, this is always the process of hymnody. I think we've talked about this before, um, is that the best um, persists, and a lot of times that which uh, maybe needs to fall away, it just does. It falls out of usage over time. All right. Probably intentionally, sometimes by pastors choosing not to sing them. <laughs> I don't know anybody who would do that. Um, other times, uh, but other times it's, it's true. I think great hymns also uh, find, find times of neglect, maybe because they're not in native language or um, maybe they have a difficult tune and they need a better tune, that sort of thing. So you've seen like a really popular hymn now amongst Lutherans, uh, Missouri Synod Lutherans, is um, God's Own Child, I gladly say it. That's a very old text. It's, you know, 400 years old, but it just wasn't. And, and the tune is was pretty much the same. It's contemporary to that. It sounds very modern, but it's actually quite old, and it just wasn't translated into English until recently. Um, but it's a lovely text and tune, so there you go. All right, that's enough. Blessings on your day. Um, enjoy it, and uh, let's see. You can join us again tomorrow morning, 9 a.m. All right, so we'll see you then.